Welcome to Bollywood is for Lovers, part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I'm Aaron Fraser. And I'm Matt Bones. In this episode, we're joined by It Pod to Be Used, Manish Mathur, to discuss two classic romances by the king of romance himself, Yash Chopra. First up, a young Anil Kapoor falls for the vivacious Sri Devi, but tragedy strikes and he has to raise her daughter, also Sri Devi, in 1991's Lamhae. Then Shah Rukh Khan spends over 20 years in a Pakistani jail out of love for pretty Zinta in 2004's Veer Zara. Before we begin, we would like to respectfully acknowledge that we record this podcast on Treaty 6 territory, traditional lands of First Nations and Métis people. <laughs> Matt, I'm so excited. Yeah. Because we have Manish Mathur back with us on this show. He's back. Yes. Welcome back, Manish. Hi, thank you so much for having me and bringing me back. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for coming back. Our episode on Katrina Caves that the three of us did has been our most listened to episode, and I'm expecting similar magic from this episode. Yeah, we really had the jadu going that day. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Katrina's the queen. She deserves it. And, you know, she's Yastropra approved, so. Yeah, she, she is. Uh, yeah. Definitely means there's definitely a crossover there. She exactly. is. We've never stopped talking about Jeb Takai John that night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm jumping a little ahead, but uh, yeah, after we saw that movie, we continued to say Sir Jesus Sir to Jesus. one another <laughs> till yeah. like today. Like we will still me, just turn Jesus. to one another and say, help me, Sir Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Hilarious. Like he's a knight. Yeah. Great movie. One of the all time greatest Katrina Kiff dance sequences. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to Yash Chopra. Since you were last here, Manish, you have started podcasting yourself. I think I'm sort of a new um, new hobby for me and something that I really enjoy doing, like um, not just like hosting my own shows, but like editing it and like promoting it and stuff like that. And, um, so yeah, it's been it's been definitely an interesting eye-opening experience and like what goes on with like making a podcast. Can you tell our audience about your shows? Because we've both appeared on one of them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, so this past fall, I did a podcast um, miniseries on Edmund Shyamalan, and it was like leading up to um, his like January release, Glass, which is like the conclusion of his Unbreakable and Split trilogy. Um, so I like went through his like genre films, um, starting with The Sixth Sense and moving towards um, towards Glass, and like I just like had like a guest come on. We just like talked about, you know. Um, I met Shyamalan's, like, recurring themes, recurring ideas, like, box office, the, like, critical reception and, like, re-evaluations that go, that, that have happened with his films, um, because he's, I guess he's a divisive filmmaker. I mean, I've, I've always liked him and have appreciated the work that he had done, even when, like, his films weren't successful, but I think, like, now, especially after... Um, the visit in 2015 and split mm-hmm. from 2017, he um, has definitely had like a resurgence in like mm-hmm. the more general, you know, online consensus and even with audiences too. So I just wanted to go back and kind of track his career and see, you know, where he succeeded, where he had some missteps. And yeah, you guys are both were on. Um, Aaron, you were on The Village and Matt, you were nope. on After Earth. And those the were The Lady like, in the Water. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, the leave in the water. Your sister was on the village. Yes, my sister was on the village. Um, <laughs> Which I was a great episode. You guys are both on like great episodes, and like yeah. um, it was like, great to talk to you about those films because like, you took them like serious. I mean, 
we like had a good conversation about it. It wasn't just like dragging these two films just for like the jokes or whatever. Like we, yeah. it was nice to like talk to people and like all my guests were very similar to that. Whereas like, I just want to like, like dig into the films and like see what works and what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And it made the experience of seeing Glass so much richer, having listened to all of that discussion and, and rewatching some of his films that when Glass finally came out, I just felt really in tune with um, Shyamalan's point of view. Well, and it was really referential for a lot of his movies. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah so, like, yeah, I remember, like, um, like, when the first couple of weeks or, like, the first couple of um, reviews were coming out for Glass in, like, the first, like, week or so of its release, I remember just being like, but you guys don't understand. Like, this is totally tracks <laughs> what he's been doing. And, like, I'm like Shyamalan going totally off the rails and crazy and just, like, throwing stuff into the film that he thinks is interesting is, like, what he's been doing for 20 years so mm-hmm. i was it was a little hard for me to like spe- like step outside of my like research and stuff that i've been doing on him and like like remember that he's like people have like varying opinions on him and that you know like the general like not everyone has been like following every step of his career you know and could understand like where he's coming from so that was that was kind of a jarring experience to remember that like people are just like watching his films like, casually and not exploring every little detail that he does. It was definitely a lot of fun. I like haven't thought about that miniseries in like weeks, so it's like nice little blast to the past of like my obsession from like October to January. <laughs> you haven't thought about it because you've been working on a new podcast. It pod to be you. Yeah, I, um, in February, actually, like, um, right for Valentine's Day, I started a new podcast called A Pod to Be You, um, which is, like, a lot, a lot different from the other one, because, uh, well, not only is this, like, podcast on, like, romantic comedy specifically, um, but, like, the format is very, um, a lot more casual, where I basically invite a guest to come on the podcast and talk about their favorite romantic comedy for like 45 minutes to an hour. And it's just like um, a lot of just like free form conversation about like whatever. And um, I wanted to do a podcast talking about movies that people like. So I feel like there are a lot of podcasts that are about like bad movies or about yeah. um, just like, or I want to do a podcast also just like fun to talk about, not like where I don't have to do a lot of research and I don't have to like, dig into like every you know every moment of the film and can just like have like a nice like not superficial but just a very like casual conversation yeah and like i like the idea of having to um having people pick the film that they want to cover because it makes it easier on me that i don't have to do any any work in that regard have you had and some real like, discoveries i also don't have to like assign movies to people like i was doing with um the ms Shyamalan podcast um, so yeah, I mean that, that that podcast is like bi-weekly and I'm trying to make it like as inclusive as possible. Like I really am trying to get like primarily have like women guests or uh, people of color or LGBT individuals um, just because like I've noticed myself how how like rare it is to have um, like a diverse, you know, like have diverse hosts and guests on podcasts. And Mm -hmm. so I want to, you know, I mean, like I'm a person of color myself. I, you know, and I want to make sure that like the space that I'm creating and the space that I'm taking up for myself has room for, you know, more diverse voices. That's sort of like a side goal of this podcast. I mean, like I have a lot of friends that I want to have on who are of all 
you know, races, genders, orientations, whatever. So, um, I mean, it's not like, I don't have any like strict rules, but like my primarily focus right now is to like make it as inclusive as possible. Mm-hmm. And the, everyone has a favorite romantic comedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's not like it has any kind of like, it, the options are endless. You know? Yeah. Like every culture makes romantic comedies and, you know, there's there's ones to love all mm-hmm. over. And I mean, the other thing is that like, I love romantic comedies. Like I've loved them my whole life. and. I feel like there's just like not enough conversation about them. I mean, unless like I mean, you guys talk about romantic comedies a lot on this podcast, which mm-hmm. is great um, because like Bollywood has so many great ones, um, and they've been kind of leading leading force in the genre for a like. I mean, I would say like the golden age of like Bollywood rom coms has been going on for like over ten years because there's yeah. so many great ones like, and like all those have like very interesting like themes and ideas, and I think people. Um, will like dismiss romance films. I mean, we'll kind of get into this as we get into, you know, Yastropra later, but people dismiss romance as just like frivolous, you know, like glamorous, like whatever, just like it's for girls, like who cares, like superficial bubblegum, whatever. But I think because like romance deals with like how people interact with each other, there's actually a, a richness to the socio-political themes and, mm-hmm. um, and like romantic comedies often will deal with like class, race, status, you know, hypocrisy, pride, all that stuff. And um, to me, that stuff is very meaty to talk about in the context of something that's meant to be consumed by, you know, a mainstream mass audience. Yeah, I feel like uh, Hollywood fans forget that romantic comedies were kind of the bread and butter um, up until like the 60s, probably. Mm-hmm. Like you'd have screwball comedies and even like Gidget movies in the 50s and 60s. Like that's that was the huge amount of the output. Or it would be grafted onto another genre, like it's a western, but also it's a romance. But then I mean, well into like, the 80s and 90s, you have such yeah. big romantic comedies. Yeah, they, they it just feels like they stopped making them as well lately. Yeah. Yeah, I would say definitely like the the like post 9/11 era, like the 2000s, had been like somehow the romantic comedy just like died. I mean, thankfully we have films like Crazy Rich Asians and The Big mm-hmm. Sick and, um, you know, Netflix has been doing a lot of great romantic comedies like um, Set It Up and To All the Boys I Loved Before. And, and we have like Love, Simon, which is a groundbreaking movie. Like, um, thankfully, like now it's becoming more, I guess like trendier, more like cool to do romantic comedies. and. And now that like you know, the online film criticism community is becoming more diverse, we have like more women like um, like Carolyn Seed, who is writes this amazing romantic comedy column. She's like my idol. Like I wouldn't be doing this <laughs> podcast without her. Um, and um, that's over at the AV Club, right? Yeah, yeah. She's right. She writes at the AV Club when romance uh, met comedy, and like I like she is like my inspiration for doing this podcast because like she takes them as seriously as I do mm-hmm. and how I'm sure many people who like romantic comedies wish more critics would. So I think it's really important to know that, to like understand that like it's a, like kind of a false idea that romantic films, especially romantic comedies, especially ones that are so um, like mainstream friendly are like frivolous or superficial or just like meant for like, you know, like one time watch or whatever. I think it's 
I think there's a lot to talk about in terms of like gender, class, all that, all that juicy stuff that we talk about with like other films. All that stuff is in there in rent a comedy. It's just you just have to look a little bit harder for it, maybe. It's it's interesting that you say that people view them as kind of disposable as you watch them once and that's it, because so many of your guests have talked about how they've watched the movies over and over and over again. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's, like, the great thing about romantic comedies is that they're so much fun to watch. Like, I mean, I'm just, like, there's so many that I have seen, even the two films we're going to talk about today, which aren't comedies, although they are funny. Um, there's like, some comedy in Yeah, <laughs> but, like, uh, those, these are movies I've seen, like, a million times, mm-hmm. but I, I guess, like, I still am seeing this, like, dismissiveness towards romantic comedies, I guess maybe because it's, like, I mean, marketed towards women, and there's that whole thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that like a lot of my guests have been people who love romantic comedies. And I've actually have asked people to like come on the show who are like, I don't like romantic movies. I don't want to come on. And I'm like, there's got to be at least one you like. I mean, even if it's something that's like unconventional. Romancing but... the Stone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a romance movie full of gunfights. It's or great. Like, you can't tell me that everyone doesn't love Philadelphia's story. Well, yeah. I mean, your serious <laughs> yeah. film fans should know about movies from the 30s and the 40s, but yeah. so many good movies have a great romantic pairing that happens over the course yeah. of them. And so far, you've discussed so many great movies, like You've Got Mail, My Best Friend's Wedding, I Love Julia Roberts, mm-hmm. um, one of the greatest romantic comedies of all time, Broadcast News, and you've done an episode on a Bollywood film, uh, Yed Delaghi, yeah, with, which um, is a remake of our, Sabrina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, with our um, our mutual friend, Alisa mm-hmm. Rivera. Um, yeah, I mean, like, she, she picked that film, and I... I was surprised because I didn't really know that many people knew about that film who like didn't grow up with you know with it. Um, but you know she just happened to have seen it because I guess it was streaming somewhere and she enjoyed it and wanted to talk about it. And I was like, great. I mean, it's actually I think it's one of it's our heavily downloaded episode. I don't I don't mm-hmm. know I don't have the numbers, but um, I've like Googled my podcast and that comes up as the first one. <laughs> Hmm. Well, you can find both of Manisha's podcasts on the Talk Film Society stream, uh, which also currently has a Patreon where there's like special reviews coming out from you, Manish. Yeah, we're trying to drum up, you know, exclusive content for our Patreon subscribers. Um, so like I will try to do like um, like mini reviews of like new romantic comedies that come out and kind of break from the usual format. Um, and so we have a review for the new film Long Shot, which came out a couple of weeks ago with Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen. Um, so if you're interested in uh, in that, you know, you can look for our Patreon page and um, subscribe there. will be a link there. in the show notes, so yeah. don't worry. It'll be easy to find. And, Great. you know, when you hit subscribe to the Talk Film Society podcast stream, you also get Can You Believe It? Uh, which is a deep dive into the filmography of Keanu Reeves. Uh, you were also on. Yes, but also I just, I love Keanu Reeves so much. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I think everyone could could use, you know, discussions both about Keanu Reeves and about romantic comedies in their podcasts. Well, you yeah. actually discussed the, the newest Keanu Reeves romantic comedy, Destination yeah. Wedding, right? <laughs> yes, which was, uh, oh, I see what they were going for. <laughs> I really do see what they were yeah. going for. 
Uh, and then I also want to give it a shout out to uh, over on the Talk Film Society page. You just posted another list of 10 quintessential Bollywood films worth checking out. So this is the third time you've done this. So there's three in the series now. And you you recommend a lot of excellent films. Thank you. I appreciate the shout out. Yeah. What's your what's your rubric for determining quintessence? Um, well, I want to make sure that I have... Um, like at least a film from like maybe not every decade but just like a wide variety of you know of the decades and stuff and um i want to pick like different genres um and i've been trying to focus on getting thinking about more like women filmmakers mm-hmm. um so i realized when i first did the the article in 2017 there was all men and like i mean it's you know sometimes it's just like it's just how it goes because there aren't there aren't as many women filmmakers in India, although there are more now. So, mm-hmm. um, but um, yeah, just like movies that I think have had some kind of cultural impact um, or are like critically acclaimed, maybe have some crossover potential as well. Because um, I I know a lot of the readers at Talk Film Society are not Indian. Um, so I just want to make sure that I can find films that would have some some sort of international appeal, um, but also find films that I think represent Indian culture and aren't afraid of being you know as like filmy as they can be because mm-hmm. filminess I think is a virtue, not a not oh, a detriment. We're gonna get into that in the, with these two movies <laughs> yeah. for sure. And you finally put Om Shanti Om on the list. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like honestly, like that, like I. Like, you guys didn't know me back then, but, like, back when, like, Om Shanti Om was coming out, I was, like, so anti-Farah Khan. That's because, what everyone like, says. Was, like, everyone says that. I was so pretentious. <laughs> and, like, it wasn't really until actually you guys were so um, effusive in your love for the film. I was, like, well, and not just you guys, but, like, our you know friends, like, Shah Shaheed, and every, everyone loves the movie. And I was, like, well, I need to rewatch it because, like, clearly I'm missing something. And I'm, like, totally in love with it. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful film. But it also really- there's new films on the list, like Lipstick Under My Burka, which I don't think would have been out when you originally made the list. Yeah, yeah. That that came out 20, I want to say 16. So, okay. um, yeah, I love that movie. I think it's, like, one of the most important movies to come out in Hindi cinema mm-hmm. in a while. Like, I think it's such a, such a key film in a lot of different ways, not just in its content, but just, like, the controversy that it had to sustain over its mm-hmm. content and... Um, yeah, that's a great movie. I would say that would be the one that I would like recommend the most from that list. Yeah, that's an easy kind of gateway because it's it's got a very clear structure. It's not super. It's not super filmy. It's not very filmy. No, if you're interested in uh, like Western art cinema, you'll you'll get what this is putting down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like that. Those performances are so good. Yeah, including. Uh, um, Ratna Pasnak, oh, my gosh. new favorite actress. <laughs> oh, thank God. Oh, Matt won't let that die. All right. Well, so good. <laughs> we will have links in the show notes um, to all of Manisha's um, podcast and the article over the Talk Film Society. We highly recommend that people check it out because, uh, you know, engaging with Manisha about cinema and Bollywood is is such a such a delight, and mm-hmm. I I appreciate. You hear that? You're a delight. <laughs> I mean, that it's you're... totally mutual. I'm obsessed with you guys. So. Oh God. Well, I appreciate that you're putting out the kind of content that you are. So now we're going to discuss Yash Chopra, yeah. a filmmaker that you know. When we got into Bollywood, I was 
really intimidated by because uh, he's he's a big deal. His movies are big, they're the popular, part, they're the, long, and they're intense. The first mentions we probably saw of him were after he died, and it would be a picture at the beginning of the movie saying, yeah. we miss you. I was like, man, who is this yeah. guy who is before the actual movie starts? Movie has nothing to do with him. It might be his production company, but it's like, yeah, we miss you. Like, damn, this guy must be a big deal. Mm-hmm. And when we first got into Bollywood, uh, I almost exclusively watched Yash Raj films when I started out mm-hmm. because uh, they have such, they often have a really high production value and there was just something yeah. really accessible about them. Mm-hmm. I think because it's about big sweeping They're emotions. They're four, four quadrant blockbusters all yeah. the time. Yeah, so I always thought Yash Raj was like a symbol of quality. Obviously, we've discovered uh, more studios and more filmmakers. But when I first started Yash Raj, I if I saw that logo come up, I thought, oh, I'm in for I'm in for a good time. Yeah, and you'd always do the. Yeah, I always think of Yash Raj as like somewhat the equivalent of like Disney or like Marvel. Yeah, because like even if like the movie isn't like. Um, isn't totally groundbreaking or excellent. Like you at least know there's like a baseline of quality that you at least will mm-hmm. enjoy the movie um, on like, even just like on a visual level or just like for like visceral entertainment value. Um, and of course there are like um, amazing films in the Yes Raj studio and bad ones as well. But like, I, yeah, I agree. Like there's definitely a baseline of like quality there. And you always know that you'll at least be watching something that's like, competently and like professionally made. Yash Chopra himself was a film director and producer. He founded Yash Raj Films. He was the younger brother of B.R. Chopra, another director. And he's the father of Aditya Chopra, who's directed you know such classic films like DDLJ, yeah. and most recently, Bethikre, a movie that Matt and I really like. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. Manish, that is a perfect romantic comedy. <laughs> Why don't people like Bethikre? What is happening? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I have no idea. I love that movie. I think it's great. Like, oh, I think that movie is so funny and, like, clever. And um, it's so just, like, um, hit, like, cool. Like, it's yeah. a cool movie. Like, I I really don't understand it. And, like, I've tried to, like, read, like, criticisms of the movie. And I don't – I feel like I'm, I saw a completely different Yeah. It, you know, I maybe people were knives out for Ranveer Singh, like – he had to have a movie that wasn't that good. He'd, he'd already done yeah. Kill Dill, but like, you know, I just don't do not understand why everyone does not love this movie. It is equally as good as all kinds of romantic comedies that people follow of themselves praising. Yeah. We've seen it three times. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, movie. it's pretty. It's pretty, and it's like short, and it's like funny, and yeah. has like cool locations, and like sexy. I think the actor, yeah, it's so sexy. Like the actors are really great. Yeah, I. I wish I Great knew. Great dancing. Good, I knew yeah. I liked you, Manish. You're, you're still allowed to be on the show. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> so, Yash Chopra is also the father of Uday Chopra, one of the stars of the Doom series. Uh, though he seems to have left uh, acting and is more um, in a producer role. Till Doom Yash 4, Rashan. presumably. Yeah. Yes, till Doom 4. He made his directorial debut in 1959 with the Dual Ka Fool. Uh, and his final film came out in 2012. Jabtak Haijan. Uh, he passed away during the production of that film. Overall, he directed 22 films and produced many more. Many of his films are considered some of the finest and most popular Hindi language films around. Mm-hmm. Uh, these include Walked, Diwar, Sosala, Chandni, Dar, and Diltopago High. Yeah. 
Uh, we've done episodes on Delta Pago High, Cabby Cabby. Yeah, he's he's operating at a pretty high level all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, his films are known for their emotional, melodramatic stories and focus on the lifestyles of the rich and elite. Although not all of them are about rich people, but a lot of them are. Yeah, and they they aren't all. I mean, like he helped create uh, Amitabh Bachchan's angry young man persona. So yeah. they're not all these big sweeping romance. And Itafak, which we discussed the uh, remake of, because we can't get our hands on the original one. Yeah. That's more of a crime mystery. Um, but I think, and and Manish chime in here. I think largely when people say his name, they think of these these romance films. Yeah, um, I mean, those are his most, like, famous and financially successful films and, like, his collaborations with Shah Rukh Khan starting in 1993 with Dar up until his last film, Jabda Ke Jaan, like, um, he really helped shape uh, Shah Rukh Khan's kind of romantic um, romantic hero. I mean, even a movie like Dar, which is, like, a psychological thriller, mm-hmm. um, is, like, it's kind of a, a take on Shah Rukh Khan's kind of romantic, um, uh, romantic hero kind of persona. Um, I think the thing is that like this, his romance films are very famous and popular because they are you know glamorous. They um, his heroines are always you know wearing like beautiful clothes and like the songs are very popular uh, because like I grew up with Yastropra in the sense that like. Um, his movies were everywhere. The songs were always playing, like especially um, like Jandani, Lamhe, Dar, Dotapagalhe were like film, film, movies that I grew up on. And like Gabi Gabi, Silsla, um, Dog as well. Um, he, I think those are the movies that have just like stuck in people's minds. And I think those are the movies that he was the most happy, he was the happiest making. Mm. Um, I read, he, I read online that he considered Gabi Gabi to be his like happiest time in his career um, mm. making that film because it was like all of his favorite actors, all of his favorite themes and ideas, and he would call it just like going on a holiday. Um, <laughs> so I think like he, you can tell from like those films that he loved making those. Um, but you know, it's interesting that um, his his relationship with his brother B.R. Chopra is interesting to me because I think to mm-hmm. understand Yes Chopra, you kind of have to go back and look at um, B.R. Chopra because um, B.R. Chopra made um, these very, like, um, very intense, like, sociopolitical dramas that often tackled, like, taboo topics or were very much in this, like, mold of, like, post-colonial filmmaking. And so um, he would, his movies are very grounded and gritty and uh, when Yastropra was developing an interest in making films, uh, B.R. Chopra wouldn't let him work at his studio mm-hmm. or like under his banner. He would he had to like go find, get experience elsewhere and then come back to his brother. And Yastropra's first few films were very much in the mold of B.R. Chopra's films. I mean, um, Dhul Kapul, which we, which you mentioned, is. Um, very much in the style of B.R. Chopra. It's about um, a young couple who um, get pregnant and the uh, woman is a, is rejected by her, her lover and in kind of a fit of hysteria abandons him in the forest. And mm. the, the baby gets like picked up by, by a Muslim man who adopts him. And you know, of course the woman comes back like two minutes later and she's even more distraught because she can't find him. 
uh, she can't find the baby. And it's just like about how that scenario plays out with a kid growing up as a Hindu boy in a Muslim household. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so like that film is very much in the Biotropa mold as well as the other films that he made. Um, and it really wasn't until the 1970s when he uh, met and married Pamela Chopra, who I think is kind of like the secret mastermind mm-hmm. of Yes Raj, because um, she's the that, Masha Lucas. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. And like, um, I think when Yes, when she married Yes Chopra is when he uh, deci- decided to break from his brother and start his own studio. And I, I don't mean that in some like roast Yoko Ono kind of thing. I think Yes Chopra, in my interpretation, is that he decided that now that he's a husband and a father, it was time for him to, you know, carve out his own identity. And you can, I mean, you can track the Yestropra that he would become in the 70s through the end of his career in his, like, older films from before Yestraj's films. Like, Vakt especially is very much Yestropra movie. Um, that's the one that, like, it was trend-setting for fashion, um, it had the songs that, that that was the first film that was a uh, multi-star. Mm-hmm. So you have, I mean, everyone who was popular at that time was in that film, like Sharmila Tagore, Shashi Kapoor, Sadhana, um, a bunch of people that I can't quite remember. But that um, that movie was like a groundbreaking movie, very much in the Astropa mold. And I think he did that and he started to realize that he has... A, he has an identity different from his brother. So he breaks with his brother, starts his own studio, and the movie he makes first is Dog with um, uh, Rajesh Khanna, Sharmila Tagore, and Rocky, who would all work with Yastropa later and become kind of constant actors in his films mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. That movie is like, I mean, I, you guys haven't seen that film, but if you watch it, you would think that it was his, like, like, um, you would think it was like a movie that he had made later in his career because it's pretty much a like standard Yastropa movie. It's it comes <laughs> out of the gate so fully formed. You can tell like his he was so confident in the kind of movie he wanted to make. I think even though his movies weren't as uh, like grounded or as like gritty as Biotropa's films were, you can see um, you can see traces of the tackling of these like taboo or like not maybe not taboo but definitely more controversial or more um edgy topics even in his more like glamorous films like um a lot of his films would include you know children born out of wedlock um or adoption mm-hmm. a lot of his films like uh, we'll see with Virzada are about this um like harmony between india and pakistan or harmony between you know, Hinduism and Muslims, a lot of his films would have characters who are of all religions, or at least definitely the three, um, the three main Indian religions, you know, Christianity, Hinduism, and Islam. And um, he never, in my opinion, and granted, I'm Indian, I'm Hindu, so maybe my, um, maybe I'm looking at it a bit more, like, naively, but I never found that he was prejudiced against Pakistani people or Muslim people or Christians or anything like that. I think he was always his his movies were always working towards this like utopia where mm-hmm. um, yeah. people of all different backgrounds can you know live and survive together. Well, I had um, to say when I was watching Virzara, I was hard pressed to think of a movie that portrayed Pakistan as like even handedly and like nice essentially. Yeah. In Hindi films, like 
everyone except for um Amash Bashpay's character was basically like a good person. Um there wasn't really any um corrupt uh, government. It was kind of just based on a, a mistake and like they just lost all the data. What happened? Well, he was born right. in Lahore. Yeah. So I Yeah, yeah. I I think I it was interesting to me to to kind of read about his background kind of having been born in Lahore and in pre-partition era, and then early on in his career, he made um, Dharmputra, uh, which uh, was his most political film uh, and is about partition and one of kind of the first films about partition. And it had such a negative reaction that he said he, he didn't want to make political films anymore. And so then it was interesting to see Virzara, which is yeah. very much about the relationship between mm-hmm. India and Pakistan and just kind of this I- idealism that you know, like they're we're, we're the same people. We're from the same place. We can get along. <laughs> we'll talk about it a bit more when we get to it. But yeah. also the fact of uh, Zara, Pakistan is seen as kind of a cosmopolitan uh, city, but all the all the like modern cities and stuff. And then India is really pastoral. You know, yeah, yeah. Like big cities there. So I thought that was really fascinating because usually it's the other way around. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, he would probably say, and I mean, I never want to speak for him. I mean, I, yeah, but I think he would probably say, or or maybe the, the reasoning is that I feel like he was making a film that was just about love and sacrifice. And I think that he, I'm sure has had these political themes in mind, but I don't think that he set out to make a like political statement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the virtues of his filmmaking is that his movies take, you know, take the romance angle very seriously and treat it as something that um, is worth worth discussing as like an A plot, not just as something to distract, you know, the hero or whatever. And I think, um, and I think that his romance films aren't just typical boy meets girl stories. I think he's actually always has some kind of unique angle or some kind of edgier take on on romance and love. Um, like, you know, Lamhe, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, I think that movie It's certainly had, edgy. It was very controversial. I mean, sure. it was controversial at the time. Yeah. And I remember, yeah. like, it took a while for Indians um, to really understand. And I, I mean, it's telling that that movie almost was a flop in India, but did extremely well in Europe and uh, in North America. Because um, I think it's, it's, it was very ahead of its time. And I mean, even a movie like, and like Dar, for example, you know, um, is a psychological thriller. And like the twist in that movie is that in some way you're more entranced by Shah Rukh Khan as the villain than Sunny Deal as the nominal hero. Um, Shah Rukh Khan's character is more sympathetic, more interesting, and I think that was like one of the first times that we would see a villain in in the kind of a romantic lens. But I, I mean, I don't think that movie ever um, indulges in his obsession. But I think it's you know we see a more sympathetic side, and even something like Dilta Pagalhe has you know the the angle of dance and mm-hmm. um, destiny, which is a very like. Um, very in, uh, deep and philosophical look at you know free will and destiny and what people believe in and um, and I think that like you know when you guys watched Gabi Gabi I, um, I was 
I've listened back to your episode a few months ago, and I um, was quite, I, I really liked what you guys had to say about the movie, but I was wondering what you guys had thought about this idea of um, how the movie tackles like adoption and also like generational divide and how, you know, what parents do or what happens in the past always seems to like come back to mm-hmm. the present. And I, we see that mm-hmm. both with Mirzada and Lampe, which are all, both about like the past. And I think that's another recurring theme about, a recurring theme with Yastropra is the fact that like, you know, parents making, parents taking action always seems to affect their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least it has some effect, you know, 20 years down the line. And Kabi Kabi, I'm remembering it's a lot of Amitabh Bachchan being really wounded, remembering like, oh, that didn't work. I probably shouldn't let my kid have that same problem, right? Yeah. 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 Generational exactly. trauma, basically. Yeah. yeah. And I think more and more as a, as a society and as a culture, we're understanding, how, we're understanding generational trauma and just in general how the actions of our parents, the experiences of our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents impact us in the present day. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I, I feel like we, we talk about that a lot now here in Canada, especially yeah. with the, uh, the focus on reconciliation and the residential school system. But that, that idea um, and and that reality affects huh. all of us, everyone. Yeah, we are repara- all reparations for uh, Black people in the states too. Yeah, we're I mean, all that's, impacted. That's the topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and so I think that like you know, even within these you know nominally glossy you know romances, I think he does pack in mm-hmm. some very resonant themes and like sociopolitical ideas, and um, you know like. About a year ago is when I fully committed to watch all 22 films that he had made because I realized that I consider this man like my favorite director and, you know, he's on my my Mount Rushmore, not just in Bollywood, but in general. And I, but I realized that I'd only seen like about a dozen of his films out of 22. So, That's you know, still thanks. Half. yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's still half, but like, it's because I just, I would only see like the most popular ones, but I was like, I really want to go back and um, go through everything. And you know, thanks to like Amazon, iTunes, YouTube, and the public library, I was able to catch all of them in, you know, at least hopefully in, like the full full versions and, you know, decent quality. And mm-hmm. I started to really pick up on these like recurring themes and motifs and ideas, even like not just his, the films that he made for his own production studio, but also films that he had made as like a freelancer um, or movies that he had just made just because he needed the money. Um, I, all these like recurring themes of like, especially I mean, adoption comes up. I think in almost every movie that he, he makes. Huh. Um, Interesting. And, and he yeah. didn't adopt any kids, did he? I mean, not that I know of, but yeah. he seems to be really and always in a positive light. It's it's never. I mean, I can't recall. A single time where some adopted kid was like abused by his you know adopted family yeah. i think it's like never the case he's always shows it as like this is the right thing to do because you know the kid needs a home and or the parents need a kid in their home so um yeah i mean i really hope that you know with this episode you know people are can look at his films more more 
deeply because I think he he had a lot to say as a filmmaker, and I you know really really love his films. I think they have they're so fascinating to me even on rewatches. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really sticks out to me in the small sampling of his films that I've seen is just the the scale of them, and I think that's one of the reasons why. Uh, people enjoy them so much. It's one of the reasons why I enjoy them so much. He, yeah. he kind of, he puts, he, there are people dealing with really strong, really big emotions, and he gives them a lot of space. He gives these incredible landscapes and these kind of, you know, these gorgeous sets mm-hmm. and costumes. You know, he's known for using foreign locations like Switzerland mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> for his songs. And that whole... Sometimes for ironic intent, though, like in the beginning of years are. We'll get to that. Yeah. But that whole kind of uh, that that fantasy of uh, suddenly the characters are in a foreign locale singing their emotions is one of the things that that I was first uh, attracted to with Bollywood. Yeah, I, I find it so magical. And I remember when Rambeer Singh was kind of doing some sort of like promotional tourist tour of Switzerland, Switzerland yeah. um, for their like tourism board. There's like a like a bronze statue of him there. Yeah. Well, he probably brought a lot of Indian people to Switzerland. He did. Yeah. He really boosted the, the tourism industry in Switzerland by filming so many incredible songs there. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, which, you know, you both have seen features an extended homage to Yastropa, and one that kind of like pokes fine at like the realism or unrealisticness of it, but older um, than it looks over there. Yeah, <laughs> they stole my idea. I always wanted to film like a video here in Alberta because we have a lot of mountains where Matt and I go into the mountains, and as the like I don't know the video goes on, we put on more and more clothing. Yeah, it's cold. <laughs> it's so cold, and so in the funny. end, I'm in a giant parka trying to act romantic. Yeah. Yeah. Now those actresses need cancer pay for wearing the saris out there. Oh, you need yeah. you need a jacket. Uh, I also, I mean, obviously, the, uh, yeah, Chopra is a legend. Um, but as I always need to mention awards, yeah, <laughs> I would like to add that he won four Filmfare awards for best director um, and four for best film. This also includes DDLJ, which he produced. And he won seven national film awards uh, for films he both directed and produced. So yeah, received a lot of accolades. So Manish, you've chosen uh, the Interval song this uh, week. Uh, why don't you let our listeners know what they're going to hear a sample of? Um, yeah, so this is a um, track from the film Lamhe, uh, Julia Kanake, which is a very popular song. Because um, like, I'm from the state of Rajasthan. Mm-hmm. So um, this song, like the whole Lumhead soundtrack, especially all of Sri Devi's dance numbers and songs that you know I've seen danced to at like so many weddings, and like we have a lot of like Rajasthani pride for those songs because it's like um, Rajasthan people. There aren't that many films that take place there, so um, especially in like that like the classic, you know, desert fire, um, you know, atmosphere. So. Yeah, I it's one of the I think it's like one of my favorite songs ever, and especially from Lumhe. So great. Well, we'll be back after this. <laughs> Let's 
It's time to play the music. It's time to light the lights on this week's episode of Overdue Finds, the podcast from the Edmonton Public Library. They talk about the Muppets. Hosts Bryce Crittenden and Caroline Land are joined by Muppet enthusiast Carla Iakelli to discuss Jim Henson, The Muppet Show, Sesame Street, Muppet Babies, and their favorite Muppet memories. Make sure to check out this most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, Muppetational episode. For more information on the Overdue Finds podcast, check out epl.ca slash podcast. And for more information on the Edmonton Public Library, check out epl.ca. It's always a pleasure for Matt and I to have a guest on Bollywood is for Lovers. It gives us an insight into how other people view and interpret Hindi cinema. I love hearing about what other people are interested in and what they're working on. If you're like me, you might enjoy Creative Block, hosted by Media Lab YYC owner Kyle Marshall. Creative Block features interviews with artists and entrepreneurs about where they came from, what they're doing now, and where they want to go. You can find Creative Block and the rest of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB Podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I also want to take this time to invite you to fill out APN's listener survey. It only takes a couple of minutes, and it really helps us, the network, and our sponsors learn more about you, our listeners. Additionally, by completing the survey, you are eligible to enter our draw to win one of three $100 cash prizes. You can access the survey by going to albertapodcastnetwork.com slash survey. So that was a sample from Chudia Kanak Gai. And uh, yeah, this is from the film Lamhe, which means moments. Is that an accurate translation, Manish? Yeah. Moments or yeah. memories? It was unclear from the subject. I would, I would say it's probably moments, mm-hmm. more so than memories. Because it comes yeah. up in one of the big songs. Like I, I got these moments, I got these memories. And it's very much a movie about remembering the past and trying to honor sort of obligations that come up. Uh, so it came out in 1991. It was written by Honey Rani and uh, Rahi Masun Raza. Stars Anil Kapoor, Sri Devi, Wahida Rahman, Anupam Kher, and Deepak Malhotra. Uh, Chopra personally thought that this was his best film, and he liked it the best as well. Yeah, he said it was his favorite. Uh, this, uh, as Nish uh, referred to earlier, it underperformed in India, but it was a big success with uh, NRIs. So it was kind of one of those earlier ones of the NRI um, audience becoming more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before Dilse. Yeah. yeah, Dilse and DDLJ and all kinds of stuff. Um, and it received 13 Film Not Fair nominations and won five. Uh, best Film, Best Actress, Best Comedian, Best Story, and Best Dialogue. Uh, so, um, again, as Manish mentioned earlier, it takes place about maybe a third in Rajasthan, would you say? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Neil Kapoor is a rich guy who owns a house in London, but is also coming to Rajasthan to kind of take care of some familial business, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's he's kind of like unclear um, to us what he was doing. He's, I think, he's like taking, like taking care of his like father's estate. Like he is, um, he's like royalty, because um, like you know, in Rajasthan, there definitely we have like. Well, there are, like, kings and queens or, yeah. like, princes, but, like, they don't have any, like, government function. They're just, like, figureheads. Mm-hmm. Um, or they at least, well, like, they're prominent, you know, they're prominent people, but they're not, like, they're not actually, like, really, it's not a monarchy, obviously. Was Kupsarat um, in the Rajasthan? 
What? Was Kupsarat in? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the same kind of deal. Like, yeah, um, they're just like you know, so, I mean, somewhat political figures, but mostly just people who've inherited you know the, the land. Um, yeah, like like the Queen of England, basically. Yeah, exactly. We're recording this on Victoria Day for our uh, <laughs> uh, Canadian <laughs> listeners, so you actually have to stand up and salute the uh, Canadian flag now. So I'll give you a minute. <laughs> Good, good. No, 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 it's illegal to not salute on the Victoria Day. Do not tell people lies about Canada. Uh, but anyway, um, so while they're settling the affairs of his family, uh, Neil Kapoor runs into Sri Devi, who is a beautiful girl who, uh, when he first sees her dancing with a bunch of, I guess, maids maybe, or just like women in the in the town, and they're dancing in the rain in this fun scene, they're kind of it's beautiful. Yeah, there, there's like a swing that they swing on in the in the courtyard, and he's just like, "Who's this girl? It's, I gotta find out more about her." And <laughs> understandably, it, instantaneously, he falls in love with her. Understandably. And um, they kind of start hanging out, start having <clears throat> start having a breakfast together, even though it's rainy. Uh, it rains a lot, Matt. Just that apparently. She loves the rain, Matt. She loves the rain. Yeah, just Quirky like. Quirky girls in movies always love the rain. Just like the, just like in uh, Bongi. <laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> she is only happy when it rains. Uh-huh. Um, but um, so they kind of start hanging out quite a bit. Uh, she's from the house next door, and there's a bit of a succession crisis with that house, which uh, I gotta admit I was surprised that 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 kind of subplot literally went nowhere, but. Uh, that was fine. And, um, you know, Kapoor's smitten with her. But he probably should have asked, like, hey, what is your marital status? Mm-hmm. Because she's engaged to marry this guy named Siddharth, who is a pilot in the Air Force, another link with Virzara. And um, Anil Kapoor is just, you know, heartbroken. He's He met the love of his life and he blew it. He didn't even ask, you know, if she liked him. And there's kind of some sparks there, but uh, he should have went for it. Mm-hmm. Um Siddharth is one of the most um, perfunctory characters, I think I'd have to say, in uh, Hindi film, because um, about 15 minutes after he's introduced... And he, he goes on a beautiful honeymoon. They have a nice they have a nice honeymoon scene there. They dance with a waterfall. It's perfectly lovely. But he's dead after that. They, they die, and Sri Devi uh, is uh, pregnant with a daughter... And at the doctor's office, it kind of comes down to we either keep the mother alive or we keep the daughter alive. And Sri Devi says, oh, got to keep my daughter alive. And Anil Kapoor finds himself having to kind of take care of this kid. Um, my favorite scene in the movie is when uh, Sri Devi's, well, adult Sri Devi's uncle comes by and he says, like, yeah, uh, I need 600,000 rupees to leave this situation. But it was 500,000. And then Anil Kapoor slaps him. He's like, that, that'll cost you another 100000 So Kapoor slaps him four more times and says, let's call it an even million. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, that was good. But uh, after that, the movie becomes um, focused on an intergenerational romance, basically, because he's he's got his governess, who's kind of taking care of uh, young Sri Devi too. Pooja. Pooja. And um, he's not really paying attention. He's back in London. He's going to work all the time, whatever it is that he does, some rich guy job. And he returns every year for um, Sri Devi's death anniversary, yeah. which also happens to be Pooja's birthday, but he never sees her. Yeah, he's 
he he's racked with guilt and he you know doesn't really want this uh this grief. remnant of his life well grief more than guilt guilt and grief i mean it's he feels guilty that he just never told Shri Devi yeah. that he loved her um she found out though she found out <laughs> um but uh the the girl grows up to be Shri Devi <laughs> so this is Pooja the daughter and she is very very interested in her mysterious benefactor and it comes to London to live with him. And yeah, um, sparks kind of ensue there. Yeah, he's taken with how much she looks like and also resembles her mother. But he is like 20 years older than her and yeah. is kind of finally starting to, to date again. <laughs> and her mother was also older than him. Yeah. They never really said by how much, but I thought that was interesting. You don't often see an older woman and a younger guy in a Hindi film, especially from this era. But Pooja's pretty steadfast since she since she's a child that she wants to marry him, I think, because she she craves she craves his love. He's he's the mm -hmm. man who has he's a distant father figure. provided for her, but she's never she's never gotten the connection that she craves from him. And so she interprets that as 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 romantic love. Also, Anupam cares in this movie as uh, Anil Kapoor's buddy. It's really unclear what his job is. He seems to just live at their house. He takes Pooja on like some fun adventures in London. Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> they've, they've they act got... out a lot of classic songs together. It's that, fun. I like that. That was fun. And yeah. when they recorded a video to try and mess with Anil Kapoor, where they were reenacting Raj Kapoor type characters mm -hmm. in like an old movie to try and mess with uh, Anil Kapoor, I like that. But yeah, there's a lot of silly bullshit that Anupam uh, Kher does. Including, including like, like ruin a man's sweater yeah he, he screws up the guy's sweater he tries to steal this uh, stuffed animal and yeah could have done without him i don't know but he's also kind of the conscience like uh telling anu kapoor like look you know you've given all, you've given this girl half of your heart basically he's like a like a victorian novel character where um like uh, in Jane Eyre, Mr. Rochester, this sort of, you know, imperial guy who's kind of far away from the action. But it's because he doesn't want to get hurt again that he doesn't involve himself. And uh, it's only after Pooja kind of, you know, throws it all out on the line that he's able to kind of figure out what to do. So, Manish, you chose this film. What is it about Lamhain that uh, that made you want to talk about it today, that, that, that you love about it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's... Um one of Yastropra's most significant films uh, because I think it's a very complicated movie. And I think that, like, uh, it's like this movie was very controversial, as I mentioned, when it came out. Um, I think people had this perception of it being, like, Anil Kapoor is dating his daughter um, and that, like, uh, that it was, like, creepy that he was, like, dating his, like, girlfriend's daughter. Like, people just, like, I mean, I'm sure you guys have come across this where, like, a movie has, like, a weird reputation and then you watch the film and, like, that's really not what's going on and somehow, like, the, like, reputation of, like, the, um, like, a misremembered plot line or whatever becomes, like, a reputation and, like, um, this movie had, yeah. like, um, this movie had that problem because um, I think I think people saw the chemistry between Sri Devi and Anil Kapoor in the first half of the film and interpreted that as like an actual love story. But I think if you actually watch the film, uh, I'm not saying you like you specifically, but like mm -hmm. I think people in general who are kind of iffy on this movie, I think if they rewatch it, I, 
I think to me, my, like my interpretation of the film is that it's quite clear that Sri Devi has no, almost no romantic affection for Neil Kapoor in the first half. She doesn't um, really show it, but he definitely thinks so, right? Like, yeah, because I think that like yeah, he's smitten, and she's yeah. such a like vibrant person that she just she probably has everyone fall in love with her her whole life. Yeah, she doesn't she actually seems know any like different. a kind, funny person who yeah. is. You know, nice, but I think, I mean, I almost felt like she saw him as, like, a little brother, in a exactly. sense. Exactly. Yeah. And, I, um, like, if you want, like, if you've watched the songs with the subtitles again, like, all the, like, her first three dance numbers are basically either about someone else that she is longing to see again. So not in Okapur, like, especially the first song in the rain is basically her saying she's, like, eager to, like, meet her lover again. So not talking about Nil Kapoor. And then the next one is basically her saying, like, I'm not your Radha. I'm not the girl that, you know, you're supposed to be with. And then the third just one milk, is also... Just a milkmaid. I'm not Radha. Yeah. And the third one is also one about, like, eager being eager to meet someone after a long time. So I think that, like... Um, but I think because they have such good chemistry and because it's told through his perspective that people have just interpreted that as, like a genuine love story between them. Um, and so I think that, like, that kind of... So I think, like, that kind of has this, like, whiff of, like, a taboo thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, like, the, so the whole, like, Freudian thing that we were talking about, that you were mentioning about how she has this, like, need for... Or Puja in the second half of the film has this, like desire for her benefactor because she's never met him she's he's very cold to her she just develops this crush on him and i think that also has this like um i mean i don't i don't really think it's creepy because i think with it being creepy it's it makes it sound like it's unintentional but i think it does have this like very intense emotional um effect between these two characters who are dance like she's she's in love with him because he kind of is very cold to her and he is fighting his feelings for her so strongly because he's afraid that he's only in love with her because he only is attracted to her because she looks just like her mother. So, I mean, I I think that's a very complicated, emotionally complex film that I find. So like the interplay between these, I mean, these, these characters, like Sri Devi in both her forms, um, his girlfriend, Anita, and Anil Kapoor and Wahid Rahman, I think they all have such, it's such a like intensely romantic movie about this sort of question of like, what does it mean to like be in love with someone? Mm-hmm. And like, what is it, like, how do our memories play with our perception of who someone is or was? Yeah. Had he taken a much like more um, involved role in uh, being her foster father, basically, that would have been a lot more creepy. The fact that he's, often just in a whole other country and doesn't really pay attention to her at all. I think that is the saving grace of that relationship. And I think Yastropa is very intentionally doing that. He, I think he is probably was aware that he can't, he has to have it exactly this way because otherwise, yeah, it would be, it would be crossing a boundary that I don't think audiences would ever be ready for. But Mm -hmm. I think, um, I think because Sri Devi of the first half of the film, Balavi, I think, her specter hangs over the film so heavily, especially in the like first 
the first like half of the like the first part of the um, second half of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that not having Nokapur meet Puja at all during the first you know twenty or so years of her life is because of this like ghost that is hanging over the film and um, and I think like in the end, like towards the end of the film when Puja discovers the drawing that he had made mm-hmm. of Balavi and remakes herself in that image I I find that so interesting like well when I was in college I did a presentation on Lumhe for a film and gender class comparing it to Vertigo yeah oh wow yeah, yeah I can see I was that. getting Vertigo vibes there too because that is yeah. a that is a that is a weird flex to do. <laughs> yeah, and I was making the point that you know in Vertigo, of course, it's Jane Stewart who is forcing this you know yeah. remodeling uh, on Kim Novak. But in Lumhe, it's her n- not even unwittingly remaking herself into her mother, and mm-hmm. um, and that it doesn't come from Anokapur at all. In fact, he's almost like horrified he's, she yeah, would even do that because I think. I think what's interesting is that he is fight like he is so afraid of realize he's so afraid that he's gonna realize he only loves Puja because it's her mother and that he's confusing the two of them that he's just so mortified by himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why he resists Puja so much and why he's storing himself into this like useless relationship with Anita, who I think is a very cool lady. Um, and I want to see a spinoff about her. <laughs> she deserves better. That's true. Uh, because she's like, she's so cool, Metropolitan, and um, I love her. Um, yeah. I like the idea of getting the Rosencrantz and Gilderstern are dead about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, about it's just her and, her and her and Care, like they've actually been cheating on the new Kapoor behind well, his back. Hey, you know what's funny? Um, so that actress, her name is uh, Dippy Sagu, and she was never in any other film. Really? And um, oh. her voice was actually dubbed by. Uh, Get in care. Wow. Oh. So um, they kind of were cheating behind well, his back, at least voice-wise. And I remember reading that because I didn't, I, I didn't make that connection um, until like last, until like the like the last time I watched this movie, like last summer. Um, and I was like, why didn't they just cast Get in Care in the role? Like she was an actress. She's age-appropriate for a Nilkapoor. I mean, I think she's like a year older. And I was like, oh no, wait, they can't have Anupam Care and Kid and Care in the same movie um, and have her like romantically paired with Anil Kapoor, not, mm-hmm. not Anupam Care, because that, that's like, that's too weird. Be confusing, weird. yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so I think that like this this love triangle between, I mean, it's really a love quadrangle because you have Sri Devi's ghost, Anil Kapoor, <laughs> Buja, and Anita in this like kind of, you know, hurricane of conflicting emotions and you know all this stuff i to me that's just like it's like pure yastropra like only he could make a film like this and make it packaged in such a like mainstream appealing way i think i i love melodrama yeah. <laughs> i'm a big fan of you know like douglas cirque and i see a lot of kind of cirque in this mode in bollywood and so yeah. these kind of these these emotional stories about these these rich families and kind of how things span generations and 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 the the intensity of them that that always really strikes me and here you know like i don't i don't think you should take it so literally that like 
he falls in love with his daughter mm-hmm. because it yeah. is just like it's it's kind of bigger than that or it's more symbolic than that it's this it's about this woman that that was entrusted to him that he loved who didn't love him <laughs> uh who he then lost and then he was entrusted with with her memory you know because her daughter yeah. is is all that's left of her and and so of course and then he grapples with you know with the emotions of how he he feels about how he felt about her how he feels about losing her and and how like like you said like is he attracted to puja is he falling in love with puja because she is like her mother or because she she is puja and i think that kind of central conflict in the film is really the key to to kind of un- unlocking it and 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 appreciating it for what it is as opposed to just kind of slapping the word incest on it which doesn't make any sense to begin with yeah but that's i mean he's not I, her father that was i mean that was the reputation the movie had yeah. and like i mean it's i mean it took a while for it to um to kind of uh shake that um and uh, I want to get actually your thoughts on like this film in terms of like memory and time. So I think that's like, I mean, it's called Lumhe, which means moments. Like it's very much like a central thematic, you know, um, concern. Um, because like one thing I noticed when I watched this film is how little time, how little time Anil Kapoor spends in Rajasthan mm-hmm. in the first half of the film. So like, the first half of the film is like an hour and 15 minutes long. And the second half of the film is almost two hours long, which is very abnormal because usually intermission comes almost exactly at the halfway point um, in a lot of Hindi films. So, and like, what I love about that is that like in, towards the, in like the last hour when there, he's really struggling with, you know, what is his love for Puja versus what is his memory of Balavi and of his time in Rajasthan, it really does feel like an old memory because it's had been like an hour and a half since you were even in in that. Yeah. Like his, his time with Balavi feels to the audience like a distant memory that he's half remembering. And they really, he's, they were, yeah. really didn't hang out that long either. Yeah, like, I was thinking really maybe a month. Like, oh, two, yeah, two weeks a month. Yeah, at the most. And I think it's important that the film, that Sri Debbie disappears from the film for a while and that there's like a child actress playing Pooja. Yeah. So then when she reemerges, she does feel simultaneously like a new character and a ghost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they pull that off really well. And Sri Devi does a very good job of, I think, having very yeah. distinct personalities with yeah. the two characters. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she, she won the award for this movie. And it's, like, I think one of the most, like, stunning performances I had ever seen. Like, she's... Just like the yeah, like how she creates these like two characters that you can tell are related. Like it's like you can see the little bit of spark from mm-hmm. Balavi and Puja, but she's not a carbon copy because like I mean, how could she be? She didn't grow up with her, so yeah. they have nothing um, in common, yeah. really. But they both grew up in Rajasthan. Yeah, which I yeah think is significant. Pretty close uh, next door to each other, essentially. Yeah, right. Um, I do love all that early stuff with Balavi. Uh, for all the reasons that you were talking about, Manish, where it's like it is laid out that 
like the clues are there that she does not reciprocate Anil Kapoor's feelings. And the moment when her fiance Siddharth tells her, like, you know, he's in love with her yeah. and she's surprised. That is such a, like, as a woman, that is such a, a, a typical thing that happens where like you realize that like people develop these kind of one-sided relationships with you and you, and I mean, it, it probably happens for, for men too. Um, but you just like, you, you don't, you don't realize it. You just, she just thought he was, yeah, like, like a younger brother figure. And so I really loved how that played out both with, um, audience expectations and with how Sri Devi played it. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's such a, like, it's, I, I mean, I love the first half of the film a lot, um, because I think it's so gorgeously shot. I mean, it's such a unique setting um and like you know of course all of her costumes are beautiful and i think i mean the second half of the film like i think there's a lot of i mean i hate to say it for a movie that i love and that i think is like one of the best films ever but there's a lot of like there's a lot of unnecessary stuff in the second half like um i hate to say but like i forwarded through the um through the dance like medley it's long. Um, I kind of like that. <laughs> I mean, long, like, I mean, of course, I've yeah. seen this movie like half a dozen times. So I would have transported like, through when they go to a, a picnic, which is the amusement park. Oh yeah, and that, then... that's another thing that's like ten minutes of it, and I wish and then afterwards was, like, they're more... watching their own videos of having been at the amusement park. Like <laughs> that was fun yeah. that earlier today. Like what? <laughs> Who does that? I mean, I think that there's like some thematic value there of like, oh, you know, like. Like, you know, um, Balavi takes him on a tour of Rajasthan and he's taking his, you know, Puja on a tour of London. And maybe there's some thematic there. I don't know. But I think the second half does run a little too long. I mean, but um, I guess my issue with the second half would have been the visual element of Rajasthan and the house that they live in. And yeah, it's really interesting. Look, whereas the house in London is just like a rich guy's house from the early 90s. But it's, do, it's not that visually interesting to look at. But I do wonder if that would be more of interest to an Indian audience. I don't they know. Possibly. There might be there might be interest of seeing what a Western house looks like. He's got one of those big Downton Abbey houses. Yeah. And, um uh but like the interior design is very nineteen ninety one, which maybe it's just not far enough in the way in the past for me to be nostalgic for it, like I would be for, you know, something else. Like yeah, the eighties kind of interesting to re- re- refresh to me. Yeah, I mean, I always love '90s costuming. Um, <laughs> I think like Sri Devi's like like modern clothes I thought were so funny. <laughs> They're pretty cute, yeah. The clothes um, are fun. I think it's just the yeah. setting of his house. Yeah, house. yeah. And and a lot of the second half of the film, which like you mentioned, is longer than the first half, takes place in that house. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it it's not as as interesting or are I think as cinematic as other parts of the film certainly you know compared to when they're in the desert in Rajasthan but. yeah I, my, my favorite dance sequence was after he slaps her for saying no I would never I would never uh, you know I'll be with you you're you're just a kid you know mm-hmm. and when he slaps her and then she goes and has her angry dance well she runs at the river very angrily <laughs> and then she has a angry dance in black love that part could have done with more of that that was yeah. that's a beautiful scene. Mm-hmm. That's another Yastropra thing is to have these like dance ballets. And he did in Dota Bagale. Yeah, um, so good. And he does it in Dar, and then he does it in Chandani. So, um, 
it's like a little thing he likes to do. I mean, he does cast like great dancers in these mm-hmm. roles. So, but going back to the theme of time and and memory, what what I think kind of going back to also the title is the film really illustrates how like small moments in our life can be very can have huge significance and and kind of shape who we are. Well, Camille uh, Kapoor is basically ruined. Yeah. Like, he met the love of his life. He didn't act on it. She never knew until the very end. But in the grand scheme of the, like, 20-plus years that this film covers, that is such a small moment. Yeah, he's been living in that moment for but 20 it's a, years, though. But he feels it so yeah. so deeply, and that's kind of... His, know, London, that's, his London life is pretty, like, off-the-shelf and boring because he he's has He's just always going to work. He's always going to work, but he hasn't really felt the need to engage too much with, uh, you yeah. know, uh, the current day because he is perfectly fine living with the idealized moment that, you know, can never be taken away. And exactly. like, I wonder, idealized. Uh, yeah. I mean, I wonder if that's why the London scenes are seem so um, ordinary is because they can't compare to like the mystical romance mm-hmm. of Rajasthan. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, I, that just occurred to me as mm-hmm. we were talking about, you know, that one s- snapshot of his life basically being his entire existence for his whole life. Exactly. And there's also something to be said to how kind of we tend to um, be nostalgic for our own our own past and yeah. and our own memories and our own experiences. So, yeah. yeah, I think I think I think that's what the title is reflecting. In, in yeah, the title. No, I, I don't know I, for I totally sure. Agree. Yeah. It's a great, great point. Well, does that bring us to Virzar? Do we have anything else to wrap up about Lamhe? Uh, they both have helicopters in them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, I um, I made a tweet like um, like a year ago or whatever about mm-hmm. like planes and helicopters and yes, Chopra movies. I'll I'll retweet it because he <laughs> loves aircraft. Oh, he's kind of got like that Miyazaki. Yeah. <laughs> so Virazara came out in 2004. It was written by Aditya Chopra, Yash Chopra's son. It stars Shah Rukh Khan. Preeti Zinta, Rani Mukherjee, Kiran Kerr, Boman Arani, Divya Dutta, Anupam Kerr, Amitabh Bachchan, Hema Malani, and Manoj Bajpayee. This cast is stacked. Yeah, you couldn't ask for a better sec- a set of actors right there. This cast is stacked, and I love the fact that Amitabh Bachchan, Hema Malani, and Manoj Bajpayee are all just like special appearances. Well, okay. Those are just cameos. Can you maybe explain that, um, uh, Manish? So... Manoj Bajpayee wasn't as big of a star in 2004. I, I, I would even argue that nowadays yeah. he's not that big of a star. They offered that role to Ajay Devgan. Oh, that would have been interesting. But, like, why does he get a, like, a special appearance by? He's, he's like, the villain of the piece. But he's not, he's not like uh, Bachchan and Malini where, they're, like, there's these big stars kind of um, lending a hand to it. He's, he's just, like, a guy. You know, I I don't know. Like, I imagine it's just some sort of, like, legal thing that they had to like negotiate with his his manager or his agent where like he doesn't want to be like um because he's like a name enough that like he doesn't want to be like buried in the middle of this like huge cast um but he also is only he's also only in the movie for like a short while but he has a pivotal role so maybe he's just like just had like i guess he thought or I guess whoever did side of the billing thought that he would needed some kind of more prominent billing, but like he couldn't be too much at the top, but like he, cause he, 
he's a small role, but it's like very obviously very pivotal. So I mean, I really don't. I don't know how like Bollywood works with like billing order. I mean, I imagine was, it's probably similar to like Hollywood and other industries, but yeah. I don't know if that's something he would like negotiate or if that was offered to him. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's the only kind of unrepentant shithead in the movie. Yeah. So maybe it was just kind of a contractual thing. Like, yeah, I'll be in the movie as a dickhead, but like, just give me a special feature. Special yeah, it's probably something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at his filmography, he he'd done quite a bit. Uh, before this film came out, including Bandit Queen. Uh, and his first role was a special appearance. So what? His first role? Was, okay, maybe that's just in his contract. Like, I, in a, any, any appearance of Minaj Bashpee is a special appearance. <laughs> maybe. Uh, so moving on. Uh, this film was a huge box office success in India and overseas. It was also a huge critical success. It was nominated for 15 Filmfare Awards. It won four, including Best Film, Best Story, and Best Dialogue. It also won the National Film Award for the Best Popular Film Providing Wholesome Entertainment. It is very wholesome. <laughs> Matt's favorite award category ever. That's something everyone can enjoy. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it was created for this movie. I mean, it wasn't, but like, this is like the archetype of wholesome entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... The plot involves there's there's a frame story to the plot. Yeah. So it opens it opens first with kind of like this nightmare scene of Shah Rukh Khan and a woman in a field and it's like a DDLJ style. Yeah. Running around in a field of yellow stuff, which we had a quite a big discussion online as to. I've always thought that these were canola for a long time, <laughs> but people outside of Canada don't actually know what canola is. Yeah, it's, I think they're mustard fields. Yeah, it's mustard fields. But um, for a long time, I was just like, oh yeah, this reminds me of my. Uh, the country living back where I grew up, it looked next ex- to all the canola fields. It looks exactly like our canola fields here in Canada. But I that's thought right. for a really long time it was also canola. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's what uh, Americans and people from other countries would call rapeseed. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, definitely don't, uh, it stinks. That's the one thing about <laughs> canola that I was always confused by. Like, they're having these big romantic scenes, but that's a stinky field. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be there. Anyways, it opens uh with this kind of uh, dream sequence where uh, the woman that's running towards him gets shot. It's it's a it's a really impactful way to start the movie because we've really seen a is. lot of these running around in a field and it's you know wonderful, but bam, starts off with a, a real uh, you know a wrench in the gears. Yeah, it really is, and it, it does kind of subvert the uh, the romantic expectations I think yeah. that one has of the of going into the film. That Yes Chopra started himself. Yeah. Basically. So it then flashes to a Pakistani jail and Rani Mukherjee is a lawyer who is meeting with uh, an Indian prisoner who's been there for 22 years and hasn't spoken. Prisoner 786. And lo and behold, it's Shah Rukh Khan and he's kind of old and graying and he musters up kind of the energy to finally speak to her because she she's there to take on his case and hopefully get him out she's she also of, appears to care about what's up with him as opposed to the guards who don't care yeah yeah she's kind of a uh she's just kind of branched out on her own in terms of being a lawyer mm-hmm. uh and this is kind of the first case that she wants to take on in kind of a, a larger uh, campaign for human rights. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of learn more about that as as the film goes on. Actually, like way later, like two hours yeah. later. So Shah Rukh Khan starts narrating his story. His name is Veer, and uh, he was a member of the Indian Air Force. And one day he uh, he saved a young girl. He saved Pretty Zinta, and he fell in love with her. And he tells the story of how 
she she's from Pakistan and she left Pakistan kind of on her own, went to India to spread the ashes of of the woman she calls her grandmother, but is more kind of like a, a governess figure in her life. And <laughs> while in India, after being saved by Shah Rukh Khan, he kind of kind of feels like, oh, like this this girl can't can't really make it on her own in this in this yeah. country that she's Classic not familiar with. She he thinks she's a brat. Yeah. She thinks he's an asshole, you know. And he he kind of decides that he's going to help her and he he takes her to the place where uh she would like to spread her grandmother's ashes where her grandmother had asked her to spread her ashes. Uh after that she's kind of so moved by Shah Rukh Khan's generosity that she says she'll do anything for him. And Shah Rukh Khan says, well, you have to spend a day with me. And my family takes her back to his village where we meet Amitabh Bachchan and Hema Malini. His who, idyllic village. It's sort of top 10 villages <laughs> yes, I've ever seen. Who play his uh, aunt and uncle who raised him. And kind of over the course of this experience, they obviously fall in love. And it's kind of this, this beautiful tour through through Punjab, through rural Punjab. Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously she has to go back. and uh, She's just, already betrothed to someone else. Yes. And just as he's kind of dropping her off at the station, he meets Menoj Bajpayee, her fiance, who's kind of come to take her back to Pakistan. While back in Pakistan, and again, this is all being intercut with, um, with Shah Rukh Khan narrating this to Rani Mukherjee. While back in Pakistan, Preeti Zinta obviously can't shake, you know, the, the shake attraction the that yeah. she has to Shah Rukh Khan. And, and who can blame her, honestly? Yeah. And, uh, and doesn't want to go ahead with the, the marriage to Manoj Bajpayee. It's not a love marriage. It's like a political alliance. Yeah, but. it turns out to be more of a political alliance than anything else. Uh, and her uh, her friend, um, who I believe is just kind of one of the servants in the house, Divya Tata, uh, contacts Shah Rukh Khan and convinces him to come to Pakistan so he can take her away and they can be together. But mm -hmm. family honor and duty kind of gets in the way. And another bus crash. And another bus crash. And ultimately, uh, Shah Rukh Khan kind of ends up being wrongfully imprisoned in the Pakistani jail. Uh, because Manoj Bajpayee, you know, doesn't want him getting mm -hmm. to his girl. Uh, but everyone thinks that he had died in a bus crash. So he's been kind of living in this jail for the past 20 years. Yeah, no one knows that he's alive. And everyone thinks that he he perished. And so this all kind of eventually we come out of the flashback and we come to the present day where Rani Mukherjee is going to, um, you know, fight for Shah Khan's freedom. And we end up in, in court and... Mm -hmm. I'll leave it there. I Lots feel like stuff happens I feel there, like too. I feel like that's quite a lot of plot description. And uh, and uh, if you haven't seen it, I, I don't think I don't think the end will be a huge surprise. But it's quite this was quite an intense emotional experience. I I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I really did. I was surprised by the ending, actually. You were? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I like the mechanics of what happened, but I I. Wasn't sure what, what her life was going to be like. Mm -hmm. So that was a fun mm -hmm. surprise, which I have now realized. <laughs> uh, Manish, uh, why why do you feel this film is special? Well, if you go back to 2004, because like when this movie came out, it was like marketed as, like it was marketed with a tagline, a love legend. Mm -hmm. So just imagine like 15 year old me who's like, loves romance and stuff. And like, 
uh, like Dave Das had just come out two years before and that movie like changed my life. So um, this movie being like marketed as like a like like the romantic epic of our time, even if it's just like I know that's just marketing, whatever. Like now I know that. But like 15 year old me, I was like, oh my god, this movie is going to like change everything that I know about everything. And um, like it was Yesterbest's first movie in seven years. Like it was just like this movie was like a moment, you know. Like everyone was anticipating it. Like the music was um, recreated tunes from Madan Mohan, who was like this like prolific, brilliant composer from like the 19. Um, like 1950s, 60s, like he was very, very famous, very like important guy in in Bollywood music. Um, so like that was very cool. Like um, and ha- I mean, the, you guys mentioned the cast. Like like these people will show up for a Yesterba movie, even for like you know a small role because it's him. Mm-hmm. Like he's just like like that's just how important he is. So this movie comes out and it was like, I mean. It had, like, lived up to my expectations of it, and it was amazing, and I, it was, like, like exactly the kind of, like, romantic epic that I love, and, but it really wasn't until, like, um, about, like, five years ago that I really started to appreciate it as, um, as this, like, thematic, you know, earnest, um, very humane melodrama. Mm-hmm. So, um, I... Like, this movie, I think, has, um, like, it has such a, like, humanist, it's such a, like, f- um, like loving, gentle vibe to it. Like, mm-hmm. there's hardly any violence. I mean, there's, I mean, of course, there's, like, the, the like, nightmare sequence in the beginning, and, um, but there's, like, it's it so... It doesn't dwell on that violence. Yeah, and, like, that's, I mean... I was also... Before this movie came out, I knew that he was a fighter pilot. I think I'd seen that written. Mm, and I yeah. thought, oh, this is going to be a lot more about, like, conflict between Pakistan and India. But, in fact, it's about a guy who saves people for a living. Yeah, and he's a rescue. Yeah. yeah. So that was nice. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I, this movie is just so unique to me in that it has such a, like, um, such a, like, beautiful, harmonious vision of, like, what India and Pakistan can be together. And... Granted, like, I, you know, I mean, I'm Indian, but I was born in America, like, I, and I'm also Hindu, so, you know, if this movie actually is offensive to Pakistani people, like, please tell me, because I, I don't think it is, but, you know, you never know. Um, I, of course, I'm looking at it from a very skewed perspective, um, but I think that, like, this movie has such a, like, harmonious vibe, it's just all about how we can, you know, work and live together as people who are united and 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 also like i um i think this movie is a very feminist film Mm. and i mean aaron please correct me if i'm (laughs) wrong i um because i think this the the women in this movie have such agency and they have such like drive Mm -hmm. to you know work to um fulfill what they have to do like i love that you know, Prithisanta, when she wants to deliver the ashes to to India, she just picks up and goes, and she does it. And she has to do it out of honor for herself and for her governess, and she doesn't ask permission, she isn't sent there, she just does it. And she, you know, decides to, you know, break tradition and stay with Shah Rukh Khan for a day, mm-hmm. 
even though she technically, you know, she knows she may also be like, you know, lectured for it or what have you. So, um, and like Rani Mukherjee, like she is such a like, she's so steadfast in what she believes is right. And she doesn't, you know, she sees past religion, she sees past nationality and she just does what's right. And she is like, again, like pushing forward in her career. Um, and even like Gideon Care, who ostensibly is, repressed because she's you know in a patriarchal marriage but she even um has the agency to help her daughter at least in what little way she can and i think it's to like to me like that is so fascinating and um yeah like this is like like lumhe it's a very intense emotionally wrought melodrama that takes itself seriously enough that like it feels grand. It feels epic mm-hmm. to me. It feels like it has something important to say, even under the guise of this, you know, romance. And um, I, I, yeah, I just like, I really, I just love it. And like, it's, it's a movie that has like really climbed up the rank, the, my ranking of Yes, Dropper movies. And, like the more I watch it, the more I like read about it, the more I think about it. Because I think it just has such a, it's such a like profoundly like beautiful film, not just visually, mm-hmm. but like thematically and internally and emotionally. So yeah, I mean, I just think it's such a it's such a vital movie, and I um, I just appreciate it on so many levels. You can't see me, but I was nodding through all of that. Uh, uh, I know that the I know these scenes might seem heavy handed. Um, or forced, but the scenes in um, Shahrukh Khan's village in Punjab, where Pretty Zinta spends time with Amitabh Bachchan and Hema Malini, I think really drive home a lot of kind of what you're saying about the the feminism in in the film. Uh, I mean, on one hand, Pretty Zinta says to Amitabh Bachchan, like, "Oh, you know, it's really important that you educate the girls from your village too." And and here's why. And immediately he goes, "We're going to build a school." Yeah. Uh, like they name it after you. Things... I don't think they did, but yeah, it was basically like, "Yeah, this girl said we should do a, yeah. a, a girls' school, so we're going to do that." Things in real life aren't that simple. No. Um, but to put a, a focus on kind of having this this moment, this this kind of teaching moment uh, in in the movie, I always I always really kind of appreciate it mm-hmm. when when Bollywood does that because I I do think. Um, that, yeah, Sherpa's making a statement there. It seems like this crazy idyllic village. Like, yeah. just these two, you know, God people, basically, who are, yeah. are always right and uh, never make a bad decision. But then the scene at their festival mm-hmm. where... The, the festival they invented. Well, their, their Lodi tradition that they invented. Yes. Uh, where there's this whole tradition around um, men asking women to marry them. And they either kind of accept... Or they throw, what is it, rice into the fire? I think so, yeah. Rice or dirt or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to say no. And this whole... And you do it by whacking a big stick on the ground. <laughs> yeah. And this whole uh, tradition and ritual has developed where women have the power to say no. Mm-hmm. Where women are given the opportunity to make a choice for themselves. Not, not the men in their life. Not their parents. But then... It's definitely a stark then, contrast to Pretty Zinta's life. Exactly. And yeah. then uh, it leads into this <laughs> this really fun uh, song 
where Amitabh Bachchan kind of, you know, recommits himself to Hema Malini. And she says no. Mm-hmm. And kind of in this song, he has to, to realize the ways in which he hasn't been a great husband. And oh, of, he just goofs off and plays cricket all the time. <laughs> yeah, and, and promised to change. And I think I think that scene is really, and that song is really central because when Preeti Zinta goes back to Pakistan, she doesn't have those options. Mm-hmm. You know, she has that fire within her, but she is in a situation where she's not being given the opportunity to say yes or no. And so we kind of see how how marriage can work and how even a good marriage can sometimes uh, be imbalanced and, and it has to kind of be, be put back on the right course. And that yeah. kind of, that equality of, of the sexes in in a in a relationship in in a in a marriage, I think is is a point that the film is driving home. Mm-hmm. And presumably, yeah. Shahrukh Khan and uh, Pretty Zinta will, you know, take over the reins of running the village. Yeah, okay. and there because yeah. there's mutual respect there. Like as as you watch Shahrukh Khan and Pretty Zinta fall in love, which is just delightful. Partly because. You know, the, the landscape and the backdrop is so beautiful. Oh, yeah. And Manish is coming to Canada. We're going to show him around uh, Alberta in a similar montage. Yeah. So that's going to happen. I, I want that. Yeah. We both grew up in the country. So you can see where, you know, where oh, we lived. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to see your, like, villages. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, Aaron's dad built his own house. So it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of an house. idyllic little well, place. I the Amitabh Bachchan of your hometown. I think he's got kind of a only top thing going, possibly. He, he was the vice principal of the school. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Ten uh, girls study there. Yes. Girls are allowed to study they there. They can. Yeah. I went to school there. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I think there's such, like, there's such a mutual respect in, in that relationship as, as you watch them fall in love. And then, like, Manoj Bajpayee just appears and, and takes her away. And it's both heartbreaking but it's also wrong it's wrong because we've seen pretty zinta be so independent up until this point but everyone's so damn honorable that you can't actually you know go against this and it's such a contrast to what she says kind of when she's introduced in the film when she's lying in bed and then she kind of gets up and and dances and she says like you know like that the family i marry into will, will love me because i'm me you know uh and i think you know she realizes you see her realize that that's that's probably not what she's in for. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that this like this patriarchal relationship that she the patriarchal engagement or the marriage that she's going into, um, you can tell that it's that way because of this specific guy, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. not because like I think if she were marrying like I don't think that they're tying this like patriarchy to. Pakistan in general, but no. this like specific society that she's in. This, in like, fact, society. Well, Bomarani says that he raised her like a son because he respects yeah. her, which is mm-hmm. an interesting way of putting that. But it's also like her her growing up has been actually pretty good because you know her her father is this you know political yeah, rich has, guy. Yeah, she has the freedom to yeah like live. I mean. Like, if she were really trapped in this, like, oppressive family, I don't think she would just up and, you know, go to a different country without telling anyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like, she she actually has a fair amount of privilege until her, you know, raison d'etre is revealed to be a part of a political marriage. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that that's a slap in the face to her because she thought that she would be able to do what she wanted the way that she'd been able to her whole life. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, did you happen to uh, read that Twitter thread that I shared with you a few weeks ago? To me, that is like that that thread, which is by someone. Uh, let me actually find her mm-hmm. account so I can give her the proper credit. But um, that to me, like this person who I believe is a woman, um, she goes by the um, uh, the Twitter name Blue Magic Boxes. Um, she did this uh, like social, like, sociopolitical reading of, of the yeah. film, like, or humanities, um, and basically had articulated things that I've always kind of knew about the film, but just never was able to, like, put into words. This idea of, like, how Vera and Zada both um, occupy, like, both, like, feminine and masculine forms of submission and mm-hmm. dom- uh, not dominance, but uh, active, uh, um, agency, I guess, and how you know um, Shahrukh Khan when he leaves his career as a pilot um, and goes to Pakistan is basically submitting himself completely to Pratizinta because he's basically um, in some ways shedding his identity to become to follow her, mm-hmm. and he ends up losing his identity actually literally because he is thrown into prison under a false name. Mm-hmm. His speech at the end really reflects that, too, because he says, you know, she's lived in India for the past 22 years. I've lived in Pakistan for the past 22 years. At what point do national boundaries make sense anymore? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And he and what's interesting about that is that he's in this kind of role as, you know, the passive role of being a prisoner who's basically I mean, he's not waiting to be rescued, literally, but he is in the sense that like he does need someone he doesn't need external help to get out of this predicament even if he's happy to sacrifice his whole life for her um and Prisinta, on the other hand takes on this active role of leaving her marriage leaving her country and basically becoming the matriarch of this village and she does that out of love for him so and it's through her that he can be saved like mm-hmm. she's the one that saves him well, she and Rodney Mukherjee, but it's her testimony and it's her breaking this tradition, this breaking this idea that he, she can't testify any knowledge of him because that would bring shame to her family. So she breaks that. I mean, and she breaks that a couple times in the film and does what she has to do. And to, it's to me, like, I think why I find this film to be so refreshingly feminist, even in the more like clunky ways that we mentioned earlier about Amitabh Bachchan just agreeing to make the school. Yeah, I mean, that's very, it's very rose-colored, right? But It's still there. It's still there, yeah, and it's important. And, I mean, definitely for, you know, the time that the movie takes place in and for the, you know, the part of the nation that the movie takes place in, it's necessary. But I think this movie is also more, um, also very feminist in, like, more subtle ways, like, in this sort of way where she's, you know, she takes on this active role and you know shepherds this village into mm-hmm. something more progressive and forward thinking and he's in this sort of passive role but what's interesting to me is that i don't think the movie ever emasculates him by putting him in this passive role it's actually very digni- dignified and masculine yeah. that he does this for her it's this noble act of sacrifice by submitting to her and it's something that he should do because it's the right thing for him to do for his love for her. Mm-hmm. 
Randy Mukherjee literally refers to them as gods, saying, yeah, exactly. you know, who could, who could possibly bear this uh, this pain for so long without submitting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's, to me, like, what I love about this film is that, like, these two characters are just so, um, they're so noble and, yes, godlike, but they still feel like real people because they're so humanly drawn. And, mm-hmm. of course, the performances are excellent. And it shows that, you know, this sort of, no, like, nobility, the self-sacrifice, this honor before the self, I think is very is very compelling to me. And especially because they get rewarded at the end. And um, and then all, of, all their sacrifices actually have meaning because they're reunited. I mean, not to spoil, but, like, I mean... Kind of know what you're getting into. The, the movie yeah. is 15 years old. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyone still with us at this point? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, I mean, I, I'm someone who like, well, I can enjoy like an anti-hero narrative, you know, but I really love movies about like good people doing the right thing and facing adversity. Yeah. And you know, um, always choosing the moral high path to me, I find that very compelling because it's something. To, I mean, it's aspirational. It's 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 more romantic to me to see someone like Via respect Fridizanta mm-hmm. and her choices, and it's interesting for me to see her, you know, take you know, claim her own identity and mark, make her own path, and for Rodney Mukherjee to, um, you know push the limits of what society will have to do as a professional woman and, you know, um, basically help to dismantle the barrier between India and Pakistan in her own small ways. And I think that's why Virzada is such a compelling film for me, why I think it's, a, like I said, a very important, vital movie for people to watch. And, um, yeah, I mean, I really, it's something that I really come back to a lot and think about a lot because I think it's such a, unique film and how it's so motivated towards this like um harmonious you know harmonious existence that we all can achieve for i will say i think it's the most positive portrayal of kind of indo-pakistani relations relationships i've seen other than bajrani bajan possibly yeah Ikta Tiger, obviously. Oh right, oh, sorry. No, <laughs> Tiger, Tiger's into Tiger's into Hay when they're saying like, man, if we just got together and made one cricket team, we could dominate everything. Like you probably would. But the countries, but in Ikta Tiger, like the countries are against them being together. That's why they have yeah, to go yeah, on the I'm run. Kidding, but, like, um, <laughs> oh, but you're yeah. right. They they do bridge that gap. <laughs> I cannot recall another movie off the top of my head that is so yeah. focused on showing how similar the two countries are and how mm-hmm. this barrier is almost invisible. Maybe it's a little too rose colored, but I think it's, a, it's I think it's important that it's that it's that way. Well, there's so many movies that have the exact opposite take that it would be nice yeah. to have more saying like you know we're not so different you and I. I yeah. think it works because. Because he has the the filmmaking, he has the the cinematography and the sets. By the way, this was like Saif Ali Khan's house <laughs> was uh, Zara's house. Wow! Yeah, because he's a prince, you know. He is a prince. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Uh, but I think like he pairs this this grand spectacle with these grand emotions and and with this this idealism, and it all comes together in a way that I think you believe because it's so big. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Because it's true. so big and it feels so important. I mean, his direction in both of these films is just so sublime. Like, they're, mm-hmm. I mean, Virzada is such a, like, delicately crafted film. I mean, it has, yes, the it's so grand and spectacular and, like, the vistas of, of, you know, the fields in Punjab and, like, the interiors of, um, the, the house in Pakistan, but Saif Ali Khan's the, house, um, the mosque, yeah, um, the mosque that they go to. That's, yeah. I mean, just the way the camera moves and how he is just able to capture like these like really, um, really compelling emotions in these like big dialogue scenes just through his like camera and the editing. Um, I just find, yeah, it's such a like, I think Veer's out of just so like. It's such such an elegantly made film, in how how like the editing and, and the camera work and the art direction it all just so works so well together. I also love that he uses rain at the exact moment when you're crying the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> when they're finally that, reunited the most. Well, and that kind of bridge between two worlds, yeah, like me in the middle. Yeah, it's the, raining all over the place, and then it comes back later at the courthouse. I guess the bridge is yeah. a very it's a, a good it's a good example. metaphor. I also have to add that of all Bollywood films I've ever seen, this was the most kind of understandable courtroom drama. Yeah. Every single time we see a Bollywood movie Usually where there's nonsense. like courtroom scenes, <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. This is I, the Pakistani uh, law system, though. Maybe that one makes more sense. Well, I wonder, and I know that Yash Chopra did some research on how the Pakistani legal system works uh, so that he could present it accurately. Yeah. But I've just... Yeah, Bollywood legal dramas, I never understand. Yeah. This one made perfect yeah. sense. Yeah, Manish, as a legal expert, um, what what the hell happens in any Indian court? <laughs> um, well, I'm an attorney in America. So yeah. I have like, no idea. Why are there I, so many piles of paper that no one seems to be reading everywhere? Yeah, I really have no idea, but like... Um, yeah, I mean, this movie is, like, low-key a great lawyer movie. Like, I, um, I feel like lawyers, aspiring lawyers should watch this movie because, like, just, like, the way, like, like, like Rania Mukherjee, like, the way that she crafts her, like, legal arguments and just yeah. how, like, um, like, one of my favorite moments in all of film history is when she keeps mis, um, misnaming. Yeah, um, that was a good move. Care, yeah. And he gets annoyed by her doing it twice. And she's like, you know, I... I said your name wrong twice and you got so mad imagine someone doing that for 22 years yeah and it's just like i'm like wow like that's that needs to like happen in real a real case that's a good move you should keep that one in your back pocket (laughs) yeah i'm definitely gonna use that at some point in my life her character was inspired by a real uh pakistani human rights lawyer um, asma jayangir uh so very cool yeah i really like rani Mukherjee's character here She's good in those types of roles as, like, a crusading person, like a journalist, a cop, a lawyer. She's good in those sort of traditionally male, like, hero roles where it's, like, someone is going to give their all for one case or something, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. She's just, she's, she projects intelligence Mm -hmm. as well as, um... She's tough. Humanity, like, as well as, like, she's a, it's it's a very kind of sensitive intelligence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, she's really good in this. I was kind of expecting more from her. I think based on the cast, I thought it was going to be a love triangle. 
mm-hmm. and based on other Yash Chopra films. Uh, so I was I was pleasantly surprised that I mean there is a love triangle, but it's not the love triangle I was expecting. Yeah, yeah. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Manish, thank you so much for coming on again and for bringing your enthusiasm for romance and Yash Chopra and these two films. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you so so much for having me. This was an absolute thrill. Um, you don't know how much you're indulging and enabling me by having me on to talk about him. Um, but yeah, I, I had such a great time, and I'm really glad you guys like these films. I heavily encourage you to check out, you know, whatever you can find, like, especially mm-hmm. like John Denny and Dar. I don't know if you've seen those, but those are other two that I would recommend um, after watching these two. Those are definitely like lighter films. They're both high on our list to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, Ada Fack, if I can ever figure out how to get my hands on it. Uh, yeah. I mean, that... And Dewar, obviously. Criterion Collection. Yeah. Yeah, it does It does seem like perfect but, fodder But, I mean, Dewar, we can't watch one of these, you know, you know, archetypal angry young man characters. Just, we can't find the damn movie anywhere for, yeah. for you know, yeah. legit reasons. Yeah. As I mentioned, links to uh, Manisha's stuff at Talk Film Society will be in the show notes. Mm-hmm. We will be back in two weeks, Matt. Yeah, and you're going to be mad at me. <laughs> Matt thought it was a great idea to put up on Twitter a poll asking people which show we should watch for our next Netflix and Dill series. And people chose Delhi Crime, the show I did not want to watch. Yeah, I voted for that. So, so. Oh, oh. Fair enough. I do think... The truth comes out. I do think of the shows that Matt uh, put up as contenders, it, it's the one that there's the most interest in. And, and I hear the quality is very good, so we haven't started watching it yet. It's going to be a real bummer. I'm going to have to prepare myself, uh, but we are going to be watching it. Uh I am interested in the in the issues and themes that I think will come out of, of the story. No one said that it's handling the matter in a crass way. Yeah. So no one said it's like respectful and interesting as opposed to exploitative. Yeah. So if you would like to learn what the show's about and why I'm not yeah, looking look forward to up, watching yeah. it, uh, join us in two weeks. In the meantime, Matt, how can people keep up the show? Well, you can find us uh, on Tumblr at, at bollywoodisforlovers.tumblr.com. Uh, look us up on Facebook. Uh, it's Bollywood is for Lovers. Uh, Facebook.com slash Bollywood is for Lovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Bollywood Pod on Twitter. I'm there too, at Matt underscore B O W E S. I'm there at Erin E. Fraser, E R N E, F R A S C R. Manish, what's your handle? Um, uh, the Manish89, T H E M A N I S H 89. Yep. If you're a fan of the show, please consider leaving us a star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. People discover the show. We read our reviews out on air, and you know it's just you could be famous. We 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 love it when we get those five star reviews. It really really makes us feel good about ourselves. While you're over at Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe to my other show that I do weekly with Paul Matwitchuk. Uh, we are it's a Trash Art in the Movies. Yes, it's called Trash Art in the Movies. Uh, we're working on an episode about Doris Day because she just passed away. So Manish, you and I are going to have competing pillow talk episodes out oh my god yeah well yeah that's that's such a weird coincidence yeah 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 um i know it's so sad that she passed away and i can't wait to hear your episode on it i be a great one i'm so excited i'm i'm not just excited to talk about doris day i'm so excited to talk about rock hudson oh yeah yeah uh we also want to give a shout out and a thank you to becca dalkey for Mm -hmm. our logo yeah for toughy 
You all know and love Tuffy. Yes. There he is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, tune in uh, two weeks from now for another Yes Show Precise episode of <laughs> 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 Bollywood is for Lovers. Mm-hmm.